Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and I hope you'll give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. Larry Reed is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We'll discuss the contributions of Andrew Mellon as our Treasury Secretary. And also, uh, Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several novels. His latest is No Problem. By the way, we're celebrating over 12 years broadcasting on the Internet and uh, really appreciate your support as uh, listening to the show and uh, telling others about it as well. It is August the 7th, and on this day in 1912, Theodore Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt, was nominated for the presidency by the Progressive Party, a group of Republicans dissatisfied with the renomination of President William Howard Taft. Taft went on to become a Supreme Court justice after serving as president. Also known as the Bull Moose Party, the Progressive platform called for the direct election of U.S. Senators, women's suffrage, reduction of the tariff, and many other social reforms. Roosevelt also served as the 26th president of the United States from 1901 to 1909, embarked on a vigorous campaign as the party's presidential candidate. A key point of his platform was the quote-unquote square deal, Roosevelt's concept of a society based on fair business competition and increased welfare for needy Americans. On October the 12th, 1912, minutes before a campaign speech in Milwaukee, Roosevelt was shot at close range by an anarchist, John Schrank, Schrank, who was immediately detained, offered as his motive that any man looking for a third term ought to be shot. <laughs> shot. Uh, good logic there. Roosevelt was suffered only a flesh wound from the attack, went on to deliver his scheduled speech, declaring, you see, it takes more than that to kill a bull moose. The former Rough Rider uh, later collapsed and was rushed to the hospital. He recovered quickly, but in November was defeated by Democrat candidate Woodrow Wilson, who benefited from the divided Republican Party. Interesting. The Bull Moose Party by Teddy Roosevelt. Well, Democrats are called for their 2024 candidates to re-engage with young voters amid signs that the critical voting bloc may be distancing from the, from the party. Recent polling has found that a number of young people who identify as Democrats is on a slight decline. And while President Biden has been wavering support from uh, the Democrat demographic that played a pivotal role in his victory in former President Trump in 2020. Adding to the concerns is a recent analysis from John Della Volpe, the polling director at the Harvard Kennedy Institute of Politics, who pointed to possible struggles in the party facing uh, faces with uh, voters between 18 and 29. Nearly every sign that made me confident in historic levels of young participation in 20 and uh, 22 is now flashing red that meaning a Republican, Del Vopi wrote in his analysis of 2024. Well, this is a disturbing piece that I think will help exonerate President Trump, but former Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sund 
told Tucker Carlson back when he was with Fox News there was a fair amount of law enforcement in the January 6th crowd in footage exclusively obtained by the National Pulse. Now, the National Pulse, if you're not familiar with Raseem Kassam is the uh, uh, publisher, and uh, they do a great job. Check out thenationalpulse.com. The bombshell news followed revelations that Sun had called the events surrounding the Capitol riot a cover-up, adding his concerns over provocateurs like Ray Epps. Over halfway through the interview hidden by Fox News uh, following Tucker Carlson's firing, so they just wouldn't play it after Tucker left. Sun explained it is normal for Secret Service, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and D.C. Metropolitan Police to have a a few undercover assets and large crowds gathering in the nation's capital. But the 18 or so FBI agents present, plus an estimated 20 from the Department of Homeland Security, was remarkably high. Sun stunningly revealed, uh, within a few days of January 6th, I had media uh, reach out to me and say, hey, are you aware the FBI is having undercovers in the crowd? I was like, oh, no, they would have uh, told me. I had uh, Steve D'Antuono, the head of the FBI Washington field office, on a call the day before. He didn't say anything to me about it. And now to see, allegedly, according to the GAO report, they had 18 operatives in the crowd. That's a lot of operatives. The Capitol Hill top cop forced out by Speaker Nancy Pelosi in the aftermath of January 6th, went on to explain that during incidents like IMF protests in 2000 and the Bush inauguration, it was commonplace for his department to have intelligence briefings with the FBI alongside a joint intelligence bulletin. None of that happened for January 6th, Sund explained. No conference call. Tucker pressed Sund for clarification. You think the 18 is a lot for that kind of event? Sund said, yeah, I think so. Adding the Department of Homeland Security had 20 operatives. It sounds like a, a number of intelligence agencies had resources in the crowd, Sun asserted, which uh, Carlson responded. In the parlance of the Internet, it was crawling with feds, he asked. There was a fair amount of law enforcement in the crowd, Sun replied. In over 30 years of service in the police, Sun says he's never seen anything like that in terms of sheer numbers of undercover operatives from across government agencies. So uh, does it sound like a setup to you with regard to uh, uh, Trump trying to make him look like the bad guy? And uh, I I think this is all going to come out in the wash with regard to his trial for January 6th, but this is just important evidence, no doubt. Well, electricity providers recently spoke out against the Biden administration's attack on the fossil fuel industry, specifically power plants, warning that the speed at which officials are pursuing a green energy transition risks significant energy shortage. According to a report from the Washington Times, Southwest Power Pool's executive vice president, Lanny Nickel, recently said that though he's not advocating Biden double down on conventional energy resources, although I frankly think he should, He does think the U.S. needs to slow down with stripping assets from our energy footprint. Lanny's company oversees the power grids in over 14 states. The Tri-State Generation and Transmission, Barry Ingold, gave a similar cautionary statement about the fossil phase-out, pleading for a balanced portfolio. As we're taking coal plants offline, our challenge is going to be, can you build up a gas plant that bridges the gap in May? Uh, Biden's Environmental Protection Agency proposed a rule that would require coal plants, coal-fired plants across the country to eliminate or capture nearly all carbon emissions released by 2038 
or be subject to mandatory closure. <clears throat> so foolish. Lawmakers and energy advocates alike have condemned the proposal, saying it would not only wipe out countless blue-collar jobs, it would be yet another blow to the economy. As Americans increasingly move off of cheap, reliable fossil fuels, it taps more expensive alternatives and renewables like wind and solar. In March, uh, energy costs for American families were at a 10-year high, with some seeing their expenses raise twice as fast as inflation. Meanwhile, energy costs are hitting people's wallets even when they're on the road. U.S. gas prices are back on the rise, uh, crossing $3.73 per gallon towards the end of July, which is the highest since November of 2022. As of Friday, the number of uh, already rose to $3.83 a gallon, according to the AAA, or more than $0.30 cents from a month up uh, $0.30 cents from a month ago. U.S. Oil and Gas Association President Tim Stewart, who invoked Germany's deindustrialization as an example of high energy cost consequences, if you really want to electrify everything, try the left uh, claims they want to do, which they claim they want to do. You're not going to do it with renewables. You've got to do it with nuclear, he said, and you have got to have natural gas to be a bridge to that point because there are two reliable uh, baseload generators. So this, of course, doesn't make any sense at all. Again, in my opinion, if you keep things simple, uh, carbon dioxide it creates photosynthesis, is the, the fuel for photosynthesis with trees and plants, which gives us oxygen. So the fewer, a less amount of uh, CO2 you have, and by the way, CO2 is a trace element in the, in the uh, atmosphere, and we've had many, much more trace element CO2 in our atmosphere in past times we have today. Really crazy. Well, new data spells out uh, doom for all electric future of vehicles being pushed by governments around the world. Democrat President Joe Biden's administration is determined to advance the global green agenda uh, by forcing Americans to switch to electrical vehicles. Uh, like some nation's uh, leaders, Biden plans to phase out gas-powered cars, with, whether taxpayers like it or not. The push is being driven by claims of tackling so-called global warming. More than 10,000 Americans were polled from May the 30th to June the 4th uh, by pre, uh, Pew Research. The organization found that overall, get this, 59% of those surveyed do not want gas-powered car cars to be eliminated by 2035. Do not. And that's close to 60%. It's been known for some time that uh, cold weather dramatically reduces the range of EV per uh, charge. However, it's being now revealed that hot weather can have the same effect. So cold or hot, it reduces the charge for electric vehicles. The Biden administration has picked its replacement for Anthony Fauci as the new head of the NAID, Dr. Gene Marazzo. A fanatical, outspoken supporter of COVID-19 lockdowns, a supporter of the WHO, the World Health Organization, vaccine and mask mandates for adults and children, Marazzo is almost has an unblemished record of being wrong on every major issue to COVID. She was pro-lockdowns and warned about the collateral damage, not of closing schools, but of opening them. In November 2020, long after everyone knew better, Marazzo claimed that COVID had a 10% mortality rate, at least 20 times higher than the actual rate. In August 2021, Marazzo dramatically overstated mask efficiency 
based on a paper she authored that found mask mandates in healthcare settings reduced unmasked encounters. And of course, she was part of the don't approve the vaccine before election day anti-Trump cabal. Then after election was decided, she suddenly madly pro, became madly pro-vaccine distribution. Sounds like a real scientist to you or to me, right? I don't think so. Uh, why does Biden continue to put these people in place that are detrimental? How is this going to create trust for the CDC and for the uh, National Associations of Health? I don't think it will. Well, for decades, Democrat polls in blue cities have declared sanctuary cities to protect illegal migrants from being deported by immigration authorities, but none of them probably imagined the havoc and chaos created by Biden's border enforcement policy, or lack thereof. Since taking office, Biden has officially released 2,020,522 illegal aliens into the United States, and an additional 1.3 million known getaways are residing in the country. New York City officials say that that the city is at a breaking point after 90,000 illegals arrived since the spring of a total of uh, 54 New York City Democrat elected officials have written Biden asking him to declare a state of emergency because of the influx of migrants. Uh, New York City Mayor Adams has ordered flyers to be distributed to the southern border, warning border crosses not to, to consider another city besides the Big Apple. I wonder if they did. he did it in Spanish. Anyhow, uh, all these virtue-signaling uh, uh, migrant uh, sanctuaries, they're saying, no mas, we don't want any more of this. Uh, it's not working for us. And uh, so much for, for virtue-signaling uh, by the left. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest-established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also, buy Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up-to-date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time.
Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541 Welcome back to the Bob Harden show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Now for the last 12 years providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. I hope you'll check it out. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. You know, uh, you're living in Tel Aviv right now, and uh, apparently yesterday I read the story of uh, an officer who... uh, Really created a, a prevented a mass shooting in Tel Aviv. Uh, it, it, maybe you can tell us about it. Absolutely. So, Tel Aviv has there's, there's a national police force, and Tel Aviv is the only city in the country that has its own semi police force, mostly dealing with uh, parking, dealing with people riding scooters on sidewalks, and general municipal matters of that kind. But some percentage of them are armed. And there were two guys on, two police officers of this kind on a motorcycle, and they saw someone looking suspicious. They went up to him, um, and he pulled a gun and, and shot uh, one of them. Um, and his partner then shot the, the terrorist. And the terrorist, it would seem, was planning to come to the rally that took place about an hour and a half later, where there were 100,000 people again, and uh, do, do an attack there. Uh, and that would have been a complete disaster, not only because of the number of people he may or may not have shot, but imagine there are 150,000 people packed into a few blocks, yeah. and what happens when shots go off? And uh, panic, mass panic occurs. Exactly, mass panic. I mean, he would have been he would have been caught immediately. There are enough people around that would have stopped him because most of everybody is a combat vet. But still, you know, the, the panic would have been unbelievable. And he gave his uh, life. He died. Yes, and the police officer gave his life. Uh, four kids, um, oh. and he gave his life uh, to keep the city safe. Um, so, you know, these things are continuing happening. Um, the Palestinian terrorists are aiming at Tel Aviv as their goal to try to get to to show the fact that they can get there. Uh, they've been in the last, I guess, a year and a half, about three, ter- two other terror attacks in Tel Aviv, all similar, where they had like one gun and they started shooting. And they're always caught right away, but still creates a certain level of um, panic. It's, you know, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, the places that this terrorist attack, they're places that I go to all the time. Mm-hmm. And the places, the other two terror attacks also, 
I was within a block of one of them when when it took place, and it's a sort of a level you get used to on one level, and you never get used to on another level. Isn't that the case? So, so but Israel is gun friendly. I mean, I think uh, you you. It's a mixed thing. It's like, gun friendly would be too strong a word for for a individual to get a gun just because he wants a gun is very difficult. Mm. You have to have a real. You have to have a reason to have a gun. But that doesn't take away from the fact that there is a you know, very large number of Israelis who are, or at any given time, soldiers who are on leave. Um, and these days they carry their weapons with them. Uh, and people of that nature. So it's not so much that it's gun-friendly. It's so much that there are a lot of security-type people around. And you know, as opposed to Americans who don't really know how to use their guns mostly, um, these people all are trained to use them. Yeah, I mean, and everybody uh, served in the uh, military. So, are, are do soldiers keep their guns after they retire? And no, if they, no, they have to give them back. As a matter of fact, some soldiers don't even take them home when they're. Depending on what they do in the army, they don't even take them home for weekends. Uh, that was a result of what it used to be. That everyone took them home on weekends, um, but the studies showed there was a significant number of gun violence and suicides, mm. uh, and and domestic issues. Those, it's one of those, you know. The problem, and let's—I don't want to get into the gun debate, but the problem with with guns sometimes is it's final. You know, when you when you're having an argument with your wife or your husband or whatever it is, and you don't have a gun, you throw, you know, you throw a, a coffee cup at them or something, and you know maybe they get a bang on the head. When you have a gun, you suddenly lose your temper. You know, that's the end of it. Well, I understand that, and we don't want to get. Let's not go there. <laughs> Down there, no, I'm just. I don't want to go there. Either. I'm just saying. So that was the reason. That, that was the reason why their soldiers don't all take their guns home, and and security guards don't. Yeah. But that being said, the percentage of people is still higher than it is in the United States who are trained and are, have their guns with them. And and keep in mind the fact there are you know the there's a significant presence generally speaking in crowded areas. Uh, you know, if, for instance, at the demonstrations. Um, there are hundreds and hundreds of police officers yeah. around. So, very interesting. Well, thank and, you for that, Mark. A- any other update on Israel? Well, at the moment, the demonstrations continue. Uh, Netanyahu gave a an interview yesterday to Bloomberg, where he said he would end, he would stop after the next part of the uh, judicial overhaul. But that's the next part is considered uh, very, very key. Um, and so, if he does that, he it's pretty much the whole ball ball game. Um, the Supreme Court has agreed to uh, review a case that involves a basic law. And it gets very tricky because uh, you know, they've never overturned a basic law before. And basic laws were supposed to be the sort of part of the Israeli, you know, the, the, what became the series of basic laws is supposed to become the Constitution. Mm-hmm. The problem in the basic laws in Israel is it's really easy to pass a basic law. All you need is one more, 61 votes in the parliament out of 120, and you can just call it a basic law. Yeah. So there were 31 new basic laws or changes to basic laws in the last two years. Yeah. Just keep in mind, how many how many amendments to the U.S. Constitution are there? That's true, although I will say, Mark, that here in Florida, it, kind of, it works kind of the same way we have constitutional amendments going all the time because of the way our Constitution was constructed. So certainly we bad, have a... Bad idea, in my opinion. Constitutions... <laughs> the, Amer- the U.S. Constitution is, is the one... To to beat, in my opinion, it's you know it's yeah. not, it's not perfect, right. but it's lasted the, the 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 time, and the amendments that have been made so far seem to have been good amendments. It's probably a little bit too difficult right now to get an amendment through um, the U.S. Congress you know, to the United States, but 
it's okay that way. It, it's better to make it much more difficult to amend the Constitution. I agree. You know? I, I'll just uh, on an aside here. Also, in Florida, every 20 years, we have a constitutional committee that gets together, appointed by the governor, to uh, review the Constitution. And their hope springs eternal that they would actually create a Constitution that doesn't re require us to pass all these amendments. They don't it's do really it. Ridiculous. It's really ridiculous. In my mind, it's pretty, it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, constitutions should be rarely amended. And they should be amended, obviously, in a period of time, you know, for instance, granting women the right to vote. Obviously, yes. you know, in the eight, early 1800s, that was an unheard of thought. But obviously, that's something that's very obvious these days, right? Absolutely. So, so those, are things that, those are the sort of things that should change. And Mark, limiting the president to two terms. That was a good thing, too. I think as well. Mark, we need to take a little break. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratostel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Golf Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Golf Shore Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities with dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, Gulf Shore Playhouse is building a 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center on three acres at the corner of 1st Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, the state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about this season's exciting productions, Visit GulfShorePlayhouse.org. That's GulfShorePlayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on the board. Uh, they help prepare elected officials to have winning strategies in the legislature. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, a multimedia website, by the way, good for kids of all ages, including you and I. I hope you check it out, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you again for, for uh, being with us today. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. Uh, uh, let's move to what's happening in Ukraine, the ongoing Sorgan saga. 
of Ukraine. The ongoing story in Saga is that the Ukrainians keep on making small incremental gra- gra- gains, excuse me, wearing down the Russians. They have not made any tremendous breakthroughs, but they are making gains on a daily basis. They've also done a couple of things that have unnerved the Russians. Number one, they've attacked uh, Russian ports about 400 kilometers away. Mm. Uh, it looks like they sank two ships at th- two different times, an oil tanker and uh, uh, a large landing craft. Um, and they were also successfully attacking the bridges that connect Crimea uh, to the rest of Ukraine and to, the, to Russia generally. And so that will make um, supply more and more difficult for the Russians. Um, the other side of things, which is not so much military, is there's this peace conference taking place in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And the interesting thing about the peace conference is it's not being obtained, uh, it's not being attended by the Russians. In other words, it's like a, the Ukrainians getting the world together of what sort of peace they would want. And the most interesting part of this um, is the fact that the Chinese are participating. Huh. And there seems to be a subtle change in terms of Chinese policy so that on one hand they're still supporting the Russians, but they come to the conclusion that eventually Russia is going to lose, and therefore they want to make sure they're not on the wrong side of this when this all ends. That's so, so. interesting, because I would think that, especially since uh, uh, the Ukraine isn't participating, I should say Russia is not participating in the conference, you would think it would be kind of a footnote in history, but apparently this this could have an impact. It really could. I mean, from what I understand, the Chinese are quite upset at the Russians uh, for the for what happened in terms of the grain mm. and the fact that they stopped the grain deal. And more importantly, not only they stopped the grain deal, but they've been attacking Ukrainian uh, grain facilities and grain itself. And China, while I don't know how much grain it actually gets from Ukraine, it is a net importer of grain. And anything that does that brings up the world prices of grain. Yeah. So the Chinese are not happy about that either. And um, to switch top topics for a moment, to go to China, uh, China seems to be in more and more economic difficulty from all the signs that are coming out. Huh. It's barely growing. There's a fear of deflation at the moment. Um, housing purchases are down 44% year over year. Um, so they're generally in, in, um, in pretty difficult um, economic situation right now developing in China. And that's only going to get worse with time. Yeah. Where's the accountability? The interesting thing, when I went to China, and this was many years ago, but you see all this infrastructure built, and there's nothing there. I mean, no people. No, <laughs> they, they, no it's very much so. Uh, you know, by the way, talking about, um, talking about uh, going to China, and an unbelievable figure that I heard uh, recently, in this quarter, in the, before COVID in 2018, there were two and a half million tourists coming to China during this quarter, foreign tourists. Wow. Would you make, how, has it a guess how many came this year? No idea. Two and a half million uh, three years ago. Uh-huh. I have 50, no... 52,000. 52,000? Yep. That is unbelievable. It, so, yep. That is... Uh, that, a lot. That, that is so fascinating. So, back to Ukraine, though. By one of these bridges, I think the one to Crimea, if I read correctly, the one, it was recently constructed. It, it is maybe the longest bridge in the world, if... If uh, not one of the, the longest, one of the largest longest bridges in the world, newly constructed. I mean, this infrastructure is, I'm sure, billions and billions of dollars, and it's uh, so unfortunate to allow something like this happening. Right? No, absolutely, no, no, no question about it. But again, it's really hurting the Russians' ability to resupply their troops, which is what the Ukrainians are trying to do. 
the Ukrainians are playing a you know a um, an incremental battle. They they also don't want to. They can't afford to lose a lot of people. Mm-hmm. They don't want to lose a lot of people. They're very careful about their their casualties. Uh, so they're they're playing it very very close to you know. We've watched too many World War Two movies where you know the Patton crosses you know goes thirty thirty miles a day. Uh, that's not about to happen, but yeah. but they're slowly making progress, and uh, we need to give them the time and support so that they can finish the job. That will take longer than we would like, but we're not the ones fighting and dying. Well, speaking of modern warfare, we're seeing so many drones creating casualties and difficulties and destruction right now. Absolutely, look, drones have become so inexpensive and so good that anyone can have their drones. Drones can be assigned to you know to, to platoon level, basically. To doing uh, doing reconnaissance, um, and of course they carry weapons with them. So uh, it's modern. Listen, we haven't even talked about autonomous drones that have their own AI and are not controlled. Oh, oh that is a scary that, that, that's really close to being a fact. So keep that in mind. Yeah, that is uh, a scary thought. You know, the, the the things that are waiting us are not all that good. Let's put it that way. You yeah. know. Um, too many different levels. Absolutely, Mark. What's going on in Pakistan? So Pakistan, you know, has been been fighting going on for a while. Not fighting so much as in rioting, and it's been going on between supporters of former Prime Minister Imran Khan and the supporters of the current military government. And uh, the military government up the ante today. They they had a court find him guilty of misusing funds, you know, whatever. You can always find something like that, and they've arrested him. And so he's been taken off the taken off the field for any future elections that might take place, at least for the moment. Um, again, you know, Pakistan has been this, uh, this place where there's just been so much turmoil over so many years. It's never really found its, uh, its centering, I don't know, maybe because it's trying to, maybe because it's an Islamic state and doesn't have the same institutions as India did. India, I mean, don't forget, India and Pakistan were the same. They're both part of uh, British India, so to speak. Right, and uh, the, the division, I think, occurred after World War II, if I'm not mistaken. 1947 was the division of uh, of India into into three states at the time. There was the um, there was well two states, but <clears throat> there was Pakistan, West Pakistan, East Pakistan, and India. East and West Pakistan were to the two sides of India. Um, East Pakistan became Bangladesh about 30 years ago. Mm. Um, but Pakistan was primarily Muslim, um, and India was primarily Hindu. There were 100 million refugees created when these two countries, when the countries sort of divided. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that goes on top of the 50 million refugees who were in Europe at the time. Um, but um, Pakistan has never really gotten its act together all these years. And India, you know, has has its negatives and has its challenges, and you can, we can say various things about India, but they've managed to maintain a pretty robust democracy, um, no military takeovers at all in the history of India. Yeah. Well, Pakistan was, uh, I think the division of the two states was meant to be along the lines of religious... Uh, uh, right, it was ethnic, religious, you know, a religious basis. Look, you know, there's always this issue, um, you know, can you have a multi multi-ethnic, multi-religious, multi-states. 
And it's difficult. I mean, the only real big success in the world has been the United States. Yeah. But that's because it, that's because no one was here. I mean, we'll take a, leave aside the Native Americans who we did terrible things to, but yeah. leave them aside. Everybody else was immigrants, and so you know it wasn't. Uh, yes, it was obviously in in seventeen seventy six primarily white Protestant of of English and Dutch, you know, stock, so to speak. But over the years, it's all sorts of different things and different religions and uh, different uh, different. Uh, different uh, ways of doing things. Yeah. And, you know, it's acceptable in America. It's accepted in America that people are different. Well, it turned out to be our strength. I mean, uh, we back to China. China doesn't, with only 52,000 people even visiting the country, you know, my goodness, they don't have a chance to have the immigration that we have. Now, I, you know, I'm an advocate for legal immigration. I want to make sure that we know who's coming in the country. We don't have all these uh, assassins and bad people who are uh, migrating to the United States. But that said, we're fortunate to have people coming here. Absolutely. I mean, both India, excuse me, both uh, China and Japan both do not allow immigrants. Yeah. Effectively. Japan, I think, still has tourism. That's at least a plus for them. Yeah. But uh, look, Japan is, we discussed this two weeks ago, the population is decreasing rapidly. And is the Chinese is going to decrease rapidly as well. Yeah. And um, demography is not necessarily destiny, but it has a major impact on destiny. Absolutely. Uh, one other figure I should say, by the way, the youth unemployment rate in China is now 20%. Wow. That's not going to lead to good good endings. Uh, Mark Schulman, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. I do visit HistoryCentral.com, terrific multimedia website. Mark, always appreciate your comp- uh, contribution here to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great week, Bob. You as well. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. In a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. 
Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences and now building and completing uh, next year a 44,000 square foot performing arts center in downtown Naples. It's going to be absolutely fabulous. You can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website Golf Shore Playhouse. Org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us uh, Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. My pleasure, Bob. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. We are a, uh, an educational foundation focused on high school and college students, headquartered in Atlanta, but our programs take us into the classrooms and on campuses all over the country and sometimes abroad. And our website is a constant source of new commentary as well as 70 years of archived material. And readers and listeners can uh, see that at fee.org. Fee.org, terrific organization. I've been to national conferences for the Foundation for Economic Education. It is just inspiring to see young people excited about these ideas. So I hope you, if you have somebody in your life who is college or high school age, introduce them to uh, start with the website, fee.org. Larry, you wrote a piece. Uh, Andrew Mellon was the best Treasury Secretary that the U.S. ever had. That's quite a claim. Maybe you can tell us about it. Okay. Uh, nearly 80 people have served as Secretary of the Treasury of the United States since Alexander <coughs> Hamilton. The best of them was uh, uh, Andrew Mellon. He also served longer than all but two of those nearly 80 Treasury Secretaries. He served under three presidents, uh, Warren Harding in the early 1920s, then Calvin Coolidge in the mid to late 20s, and then Herbert Hoover uh, into the very early 30s, 10 years and 11 months. And during that time, he uh, followed up on his legendary career as a phenomenal businessman and uh, implemented uh, tax cuts. He reduced the national debt, did a a number of remarkable things that no Treasury Secretary uh, before or since can uh, be said to have done. You know, and just to focus, here's a guy that was a self-made man and was willing to accept, uh, let's call it uh, public servitude, for the purpose of uh, being supportive of the United States government. He really had no personal stake in, in uh, his position. 
That's right. Uh, and the job only paid $12,000 a year. Of course, that's in 1920s uh, dollars, but still uh, much less than the man was uh, able to earn if he had stayed in the private sector. Uh, so he really didn't need the money. He really regarded it as a public service, and he had a mission. He uh, wanted to reduce the burden of the federal government upon enterprise, upon individual taxpayers in the country, and he greatly succeeded in that. Well, you, you can't do that alone. He had to have some uh, real magnitude or ability to convince or, or, or influence or lead others. Can you comment on that? Yeah, he certainly had great influence over both uh, Warren Harding, the president who initially appointed him to the position, and uh, his successor, Calvin Coolidge. Uh, they had a very uh, good working relationship and maybe not so such a good relationship later with Herbert Hoover, uh, because Hoover started raising taxes and Mellon was in favor of lower taxes. But Harding and Coolidge certainly favored the Mellon program, uh, which was to bring down the uh, uh, marginal tax rates, reduce the national debt, cut government spending. And remember, this came on the heels of uh, eight years of Woodrow Wilson uh, with World War One and all kinds of uh, domestic spending as well. So uh, there was a real need to reduce uh, the size of the government and also to bring inflation under control, which was running at 18% when Wilson uh, left office. Well, he also, uh, and uh, I know you mentioned this, but he did a good job of cutting taxes to the point where not only cut taxes, but also increased federal revenue. That's right. Uh, the top rate of income tax was 73% when he was appointed Treasury Secretary in 1921. And by the uh, uh, end of uh, the 20s, end of the Coolidge administration, the top rate was down to 24 hmm. percent, uh, largely because of Mellon and the two presidents that he served by that point. But he also reduced the uh, rates on lower incomes by an even greater percentage. Uh, the lowest rate was 4 percent when he took office, and he cut it all the way down to 0.5 percent. Well, you know, uh, the Congress has the power of the purse of the uh, House of Representatives, of course, but uh, he had influence in terms of slashing expenditures here in the United States as well. He sure did. He was always looking for ways to get more bang for the buck. In his own uh, Treasury Department, if you look at the span of 10 years and 11 months in which he served as its head, you'll find that he cut the number of employees on the average uh, one per day for wow. <laughs> 10 years and 11 months. His own department was significantly smaller when he left office. He didn't always get what he wanted, though. Congress uh, uh, did not eliminate the estate tax. He tried to get that done, but Congress at least cut it uh, from 40% by half down to 20%. An amazing man, and again, the longest-serving Treasury Secretary uh, in our history, just uh, did an amazing job, and a self-made man, too. I don't think we can under... I think he was the founder of Alcoa, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he was, and he also built a financial and industrial fortune in steel and shipbuilding and other industries as well. He, anything he touched, it seemed, uh, turned to gold. Again, Andrew Mellon, Larry Reed, the author or the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. You'll find this column on the website, fee, F-E-E dot org. I hope you'll check it out. Larry, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Jim McTagg. 
Jim is a former Barron's Washington bureau chief. He retired a couple of years ago, and he's uh, writing novels right now, great murder mysteries. Uh, you, I hope you check them out. The first is uh, Follow the Leader, the sequel, Shake the Money Tree, and the final is No Problem. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We have with us Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, and as I mentioned before the break, the author of several murder mysteries, among other books that he's written. Uh, so interesting. His latest is No Problem. I hope you'll check it out. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Hey, it's great. Um, I was thinking, you know, uh, my wife Rachel and I like watching reruns of old television shows so so um you know i was born in 1949 she was born in 1958 so growing up she never saw the danny thomas show hmm. so i've got i've got her hooked on the danny thomas reruns but after a while they become tiring and so that i want to segue into the upcoming election i'm not sure i want to watch a rerun <laughs> of donald trump Joe Biden, so I'm looking for alternative candidates. And, and I think uh, Nikki Haley, although she's only 3% in the polling among Republicans right now, could could be a sleeper that, that gains uh, some traction. Uh, it's um, Let me add that uh, Donald Trump's lead seems insurmountable right. at this point. 
but voters are very fickle, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, they may be tired of reruns, too. So I think some of these um, candidates that are polling low now, after the debate, may get into the double uh, digits and, and probably uh, surpass uh, your Governor DeSantis. Well, you know, if one more indictment of President Donald Trump, and he's going to not only be become President of the United States, but he's also going to be canonized and made a saint for crying out loud. I think the best thing that, that, that happens right now is we've got the Justice Department trying to do everything they can to, to suck all the oxygen out of the air and to have everybody talking about trump and uh, it's creating nothing but uh, goodwill for trump well that's true he's uh, once again he dominates the headlines so i mean the news industry especially the liberals love him because he sells newspapers he attracts uh, audiences um I think it's going to be very disappointing for for Fox News when he decides he's not going to enter the debate, that the the ratings are going to go down precipitously uh, uh, because of his decision to do that. Well, that's true. And the piling on with all these lawsuits is ridiculous. To to your point, it is is making him appear what he says to be a a martyr. Um, And the third thing is, I doubt that any of these trials will be uh, beyond the starting phase uh, after the next election. I yeah. mean, um, because they're so complex. And I keep reading, I'm not, I'm not a lawyer, but I keep reading that uh, the prosecutors are using these novel uh, theories to advance their cases. And, and I mean, right, right there, that tells me that um, something really smells to high heaven. And, of course, there's the Hunter Biden travesty. I I think the Republicans on the Hill have done an exquisite job of exposing uh, the corruption in the Biden family. I mean, mean, what Joe Biden did as vice president, I think, is right up there with the the crimes of uh, Spiro Agnew. Uh, So so, um, so to your point, the public is going to be so skeptical that it does give Trump a boost. And, and let me add these uh, kids rioting in the streets. I sometimes wonder if they secretly long for Donald Trump and, and are are trying to agitate the public and, and get them behind a strong law and order candidate. Yeah, the, the sad thing about this is it's the uh, the expense. Uh, this is at the expense of the uh, integrity and the reputation of great institutions like the FBI, the CIA, uh, the Just Department of Justice, and you could go on, CDC, uh, FDA, you can go right down the list. So many of these organizations, their reputations have been tainted because of their political involvement in the last 10 years, and it's very, very sad. Yeah, and it reminds me what happens in the private sector. We had it with uh, Boeing. We had it with Wells Fargo. Uh, you get a, a corrupt management in place, and the... the whole institution becomes rotten and and it takes a thorough house cleaning to restore the reputation of these organizations and well, i think the same same thing's got to happen in the federal government so um um now it probably would happen under trump for for a lot of the wrong reasons i mean he's a vengeful person but uh you know the ultimate result would be the same <clears throat> you'd have you'd have a house cleaning at the top.
Yeah, absolutely. Well, the fish rots from the head down. I think it. Uh, what we've seen here is a plenty of demonstration of the fact that it it begins with Joe Biden, his corruption compromise uh, leader as the United, head of the United States and uh, president of the United States, and then it, <clears throat> it just leads to its other agencies as well. So it's all very sad right now. We do need somebody to come in who's going to get clean house. You know, in corporations, many times when things aren't going well, they bring in somebody who's all uh, butts and elbows, you know, <laughs> and and just cleans house, and then and get the the great leader to come in and uh, to take over afterwards. So that's it works in uh, it works in private enterprise. I think it'll probably work in government too. Now the other rerun I watch. I mean, I you know I grew up during the Vietnam War. <clears throat> I've I've I remember flunking the draft in uh, June of 1971, Mm. which came came as a relief to me for two reasons. First, I was supposed to get married on July 3rd (laughs) of that year, so so I would have been carted off to um, camp and and not able to to get married. And the other reason was my father, who had been a U.S. Marine, and he fought in in uh, Tinian, Saipan, and Okinawa. Wow. I mean, I mean um, he opposed the war in Vietnam because his perception was that the U.S. was using our troops in experiments to test tactics and that, you know, during World War II, our industrial might was firmly behind the war effort, and that didn't happen uh, during the Vietnam uh, War. So anyway... The Vietnam War cost $168 billion uh, back in the 70s. Mm. And if you do a calculation, uh, the Bureau of uh, uh, Labor Statistics has a wonderful inflation calculator. Today, that would be $1.4 trillion. And you're, you know, your older listeners will remember that that spending, together with President Johnson's war on poverty, created the biggest inflation in U.S. history, yeah. and, 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 and took Paul Volcker raising interest rates to 20% to stop it. So the pain, it was a horrible time. Um, so right now, our, we're in what I call a warm war with China and Russia, as opposed to a cold war. Yeah. Uh, we've spent, according the Washington Post had a great article, we've spent $60 billion in Ukraine so far since the start of that war. And although that sounds like a huge number, when you compare it to um, the, the 1.4 trillion equivalent we spent in Vietnam, it's very little. So, so my guns and butter concerns are, are unrealistic right now. Um, you know, we, there's no need to run out and raise taxes yeah. To save the economy well, from runaway inflation. You know, it just kind of reminds me of uh, when you, you're ready to uh, uh, admonish your child for doing something wrong. He says, "Well, it's not bad as as bad as what Billy did." <laughs> you know, so the comparison, they're you know, both are wrong. The whole idea of spending this money on these atrocious uh, uh, military efforts just to me make make no sense at all. But you know what? That's just my opinion. Jim McTagg again, foreign uh, former uh, Barron's Washington bureau chief. I hope you'll check out. His latest book, no problem. It's terrific. Then you want to read the other two as well. Jim, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Bob, I I love conversing with you. You're a 
terrific host. Oh, well, thank you so much. I feel the same about you, Jim. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got terrific guests for tomorrow's show, including Kathleen Pasadoma, our uh, state Senate president. We'll also visit with Boo Mortensen. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. Uh, he'll be with us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, I hope you'll tell your friends about it. It's one of the ways that we support our advertisers, and we can't do the show without them. Again, for 12 years we've been doing this and so proud of it. I hope you'll tune in tomorrow. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.